2: Welcome to a brand new edition of Freedom Books, Flowers and the Moon, the podcast brought to you each week by the Times Literary Supplement. My name is Stig Abel and I'm the editor of the TLS. I didn't think we had time for literary pets this week, but Thea is gesticulating wildly because she has a literary pet. Thea?
3: Well, it's actually, it's not, I didn't find it. I could never have found this. This is from John Langridge, who's a a regular listener to the podcast. And he says, waxing piscatorial, as is my want, he's a, a passionate angler. Uh, He says, I thought I would point to a sort of literary pet, uh, namely the one time and certainly most famous British record carp, weighing in at 44 pounds and caught from Redmire Pool on the hertfordshire worcestershire border in 1952 by the almost legendary angler and writer Richard Walker. Such a mind-boggling whopper was it that (laughs) it was duly named Clarissa after the Richardson masterpiece, often cited as the most whopping of English novels. The carp was kept lovingly alive, and swam out the remaining 19 years of its life in an aquarium at the London Zoo.
2: I actually did know that Clarissa was the longest English novel. It's a million words.
3: You didn't know that it was had a... No, I didn't know. Of happened. course
2: I didn't know that. But the longest <laughs> the longest novel in the world is French. It's one of those French romances at the end of the 17th century that nobody reads anymore. And it's something called like Artemen ou le Grand Cyrus or something like that. And it's... Uh, by a female French author, and it's of two and a half million words. That's the longest novel ever. Take your word for So it. if there was a French carp, Thea, <laughs> I don't know if carp are in France, uh, then they would have to name it after that. Uh, <laughs> we haven't got time to do any more, but the managing editor of the TLS, Robert Potts, did email me to say he had a literary child, Elliot, which is spelt with one T, because he's named after George and TS. They so did. that is a double, double literary parentage. Do feel free to let us know the details of your books, pets, food, children, or anything else. Tweet us at the TLS, at StigAble, at Thea underscore Lenarduzzi, or email me at stig.able at the-tls.co.uk. Get subscribing to the TLS this week. Use the special offer code the-tls.co.uk forward slash podcast offer. It's the best price anywhere on the internet. Six issues for £5 or $5. Coming up on this week's show, it's one of my favourite editions, the summer books issue. In it, our august contributors discuss their august reading. Ah. Do you like that there? Yes, thank you very much. What they would be taking on holiday to entertain them if they were allowed such an old-fashioned thing. As a holiday, we have asked some TNS editors to review the choices and to suggest some of their own too. Now, it's summer in Britain, always a combination of heat, rain, and the palpable air of disappointment. Ordinarily, minds turn to beach holidays and a break from the daily grind, but not in our brave new post-coronavirus world. Although, as I may have said before on this podcast, beach reading is not for me. All hot sand and cricked necks. So what have TLS contributors nominated for their summer reads? As ever, it is an eclectic bunch, from Joyce Carol Oates wrestling with Tolstoy, Hannah Sullivan taking on the art of Chinese philosophy, to Samantha Ellis having to confine herself to Meg on the Moon with her three-year-old. I've read that book many times indeed. On this podcast, we're going to highlight some selections and nominate the imaginary luggage we would steal from someone whose book choices most appeal to us. And then we'll share our own summer reads as well. And by we, I mean... TLS editor Sam Graydon, who has organized this feature this year. As listeners will know, he's an expert on quantum physics, folk music, and Welshness. Lucy Dallas, who's an expert on lots of music, sarcasm and northernness. And Toby Lishtig, who's an expert on fiction, politics, and Jewishness. Welcome to you all. It's nice to have a it's nice to have a specialty. <laughs> I
4: Hello. I know that Toby's are all perfectly serious and believable. <laughs> that doesn't matter. No, but they're all credible.
2: Yeah. Well, hang on a second, hang on a second, because I, I, did, I did slightly run out of steam when I was writing that introduction, but I would suggest <laughs> Sam, yeah. he is Welsh and does write about Welsh, I've seen him write about Welsh stuff, he has written about quantum physics, and he has written about folk music within living memory. Lucy, in many ways, it was merely just a pot at you, this, now I look back on it. That, that, that's what I thought, yeah. And you yeah. have come to expect also, yeah. yeah. see. <laughs> yeah, it's no more than I deserve. No. Now, Sam, we might start with you actually because you've organised this and it's it's actually a belter this year. Thank you. you. know, a limited amount of log rolling and showing off, which is always good. Yes, very much. So before we get into uh, who we'd steal and anything like that, notable entries to discuss, what resonated with everybody? Sam, what was your favourite? This isn't necessarily your favourite selection. This is who you liked in terms of what they said. In that case, I... Rather liked Jamie Fisher's. That was my favourite too. That yeah. was mine.
5: Ah well, <laughs> that's because it was good. Um, yeah, I know. I like I liked her honesty about her pretentiousness beforehand, and uh, that resonated with me. Um, I, you know,
2: she basically said uh, she always takes unseasonal books, so she sort of takes Crime and Punishment to to Ibiza. Indeed, as some kind of penance
5: for having fun, you know, not feeling that you're quite um, living up to your literary cachet in some way, or you feel that you should have some punishment to go with your enjoyment. Um, And she's basically given up on that, quite rightly too, um, and found that being locked inside for three months has meant that she actually wants to read something a bit easier and crime fiction and things.
2: Uh, She's like the opposite of Joyce Carol Oates, really, who is spending (laughs) spending lockdown basically only reading Russian classics. And Jamie Fisher is is rejecting it. I want to know, because I've got the, I think I've got, I've said this before, but I've got a world beating inappropriate book to take, I've taken on holiday. What is the least appropriate book you've taken on holiday that you've basically carried with you and then your heart has slightly sagged when you've, when you've got there? Um, Am I really going to read it?
5: I went, I went to Kavos when i was 18 yeah. um which is one of the sort of bit like ibiza yeah but it's sort of less built up it was sort of like concrete and the beach was awful but i had a great time but i took <laughs> i took wuthering heights with me um there we go. <laughs> and so but me and my 18 year old
2: um friends out to have a Bad last friends. holiday
5: were yeah. there on the beach, um, and I was reading Wuthering Heights.
2: So. Lads on tour with Sam Graden and Wuthering Heights. Did, did you finish it?
5: I, d- I did finish it. I, I did wish pretty much all the time I was there that I wasn't reading Wuthering Heights, but um, <laughs> after going to a phone a- party or something, and then I
2: yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I went to Falaraki when I was eighteen in a in a hugely misguided summer holiday, yeah. uh, where I just sort of walked around. And thought, what what am I? Do? People were singing constantly about where they were from <laughs> and I just thought I've just this isn't this isn't me that's... I'm not I think the world might be divided into people who want to sing about where they're from and don't want to sing about where they're from and I definitely don't want
4: that's to. what you do on the school bus you sing about where you're from
2: yeah I don't Is it not? tradition,
4: what a tradition. It's are we hard.
2: talking
3: about football hooliganism it? well, it's just like a precursor
4: maybe
2: <laughs> but it really was such a misguided like Sam enjoyed it by the sounds but mine was such a misguided lads holiday because I'm not a lad that I, I think I didn't take a book which which feels crazy now but I it was all it was awful but people do sing you, you you're very sheltered Thea clearly but uh, if you get a group <laughs> if you get a group particularly of lads English lads who are drunk and on holiday in the sun they will sing songs about where they're from as they're walking between bars and the songs will also include reference to to having sex with people and stuff like that.
3: And are they inventing the songs as they go along or are they established songs?
2: There's a canon. I, I think actually the, the the location is interchangeable. The, the canonical song is there and then you place in your own location yeah, to, you do. to complete it's the rhythm. Everywhere
4: we go, people like to know where we come from, where we go, which is not true. Yeah. Nobody would like to know any of those things. <laughs> yeah, and then you exactly say, right. so we tell them and then you insert the yeah. name of where you come from and then they say... We're from Loughborough. Then you say, they can't hear us, which is also not true, because they really can hear you. Yeah. So they say, yeah. so we'll sing a little louder. And then it carries on. But, That's a and there are other versions
2: that are. Yeah, but, but, but there are other versions that are less... Uh, there are even slightly more boisterous than that, Lucy, I I, oh. I hesitate to tell you.
3: I think we should draw a line under this right here. Right? <laughs> You're lucky I didn't sing
4: it.
2: <laughs> so Sam has got hit Wuthering Heights. I'm going to introduce mine while you think of yours, Inappropriate Book taking On Some Holiday revolutionary road on my honeymoon Oh! <laughs> uh, and basically I, I i was going on my honeymoon obviously I took books i went to morocco it was lovely uh two things though one i was just picking up books to take before i went and i took revolutionary Road because i'd never read it by richard yates and i like american fiction i thought oh this is supposed to be one of the great works of american fiction which it is and i took that with me and of course it's just a horrendously bleak story of those sort of uh, Americans who have three martinis every night and hate each other. Uh, and it's, it's the very definition of a miserable marriage. I also got sunburned so badly that when I, I was wearing a vest and when I took it off, it looked like I was still wearing one. And so basically that my wife had to look at that and think, well, what a decision she's made. And the fact that 15 years later, we're, we're still together is, uh, is, a, is a tribute to her her tolerance, I feel. so for your for
3: your anniversary, anniversary, you might read uh, Chesil Beach.
2: Oh God. <laughs> I didn't read that till quite a lot later. I, I wish I'd have bought Trevor Beach for my honeymoon because I
6: bought Solar amongst a couple of other things. I, I like, lo- you know, I like him in the but Solar is by no means his best book, and I would even hesitate. You know, I'd probably say his worst book. It's, it's really not very good. And for some reason, I was going through a phase when I wanted to finish books. I'm a bit more mature now, and I decided if I don't like a book, I will just put it down. But, but that yeah, you know, then, right. Seven years ago, whenever it was, I, I felt like I needed to finish it, and I do remember. Sort of struggling through, boredly, I'm thinking, this is not how I'm supposed
2: to be spending my <laughs> I don't know what do. <laughs> Well, Sam, actually, you're supposed to have got married this summer, haven't you, Sam, but you haven't because of coronavirus. Yes. So you need to listen to these, <laughs> heed these warnings. I shall take an, a good book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Lucy, have you got a, an inappropriate holiday book you've taken, that, where you've kind of carried it with? You? I took a, um, um, a pension on holiday. And that was Hard Yards. It was his one of his more easy ones, Mason and Dixon, which is very good, but it's that was a long it is, that was a long eight hundred pages. It is
4: long. I took it's not inappropriate and I greatly enjoyed it, but I took the hardback of Alan Hollinghurst's It's the Strangest Child, isn't it? Yeah. Is that what it's called? Mm. Ago, yeah. Took that to Scarborough Beach, the South Beach, can I say, not the North Beach, which is the posh one. We went to the South Beach. And it, the two worlds didn't quite <laughs> seamlessly intersect No But I didn't I didn't regret it You shouldn't take a hardback to the beach anyway should you?
3: It's a very good book though. It's a very good novel that though, I thought
4: yeah. yeah 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 it's great
2: But like, have you ever taken a sort of uh, I've taken the complete works of Proust in the original French and, uh, Oh I
3: and see slide, and then not
4: read it but... I haven't read Proust so you know Shocker! Come on, Lucy.
2: You must have read. I've
4: Proust. read a bit of it, lots of times. I can't. Yeah. I'm
2: sorry. I shouldn't yeah. be saying this. No. Well, one of my favourite quotes about it is: the, "One of the people who turned it down, the first book, said he he didn't want to read a novel in which the 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 the, the author took thirty pages just to turn over in bed."
3: And then uh, several and, decades later, Newsguard came along. <laughs> <yeah>.
2: <laughs> I haven't read that yeah. either. I don't want to read that either. No, I've read very little. It turns
4: out.
6: Yeah, I think. I think. I remember where i was there i think in the mountains that
4: was all right was
2: it
6: yeah, yeah that worked that was fine i recommend it
2: oh yeah, lovely fear any mistakes holiday mistakes
3: i think it's not so much about inappropriate books it's more about an inappropriate number of books so that's a regular issue common to all of us i imagine
2: yeah, yeah.
3: seven no no eight
2: well here's the test Thea. have you ever run out of books
3: no but that's the thing it's the fear of that that makes Nice, sorry i was just going to say i like
4: doing that so i would take one or two and then what i like is stealing other people's books or yeah. finding a second-hand bookshop or if you're in a house seeing what's in the house and reading yeah. whatever that is i really like that quite a risky I've, way of it is risky
2: that. <laughs> but i have found in doing that i've found a couple of novelists who i've grown to adore because i've stumbled across them i've uh, the robert parker the you know, like Jamie Fisher, I like cheap American detective fiction. Robert Parker, who wrote the Spencer series of detective novels, which have which have been going on for thirty years, he's dead now. The author, but he's a sort of semi-literate private eye, semi-literary. He's literate. He's a semi-literary <laughs> private eye. So he reads. He uh, he's fair, he's actually very literate. Uh, and I discovered him on a holiday. It was just a, it was a it was a book, a secondhand book, just thrown in the corner. And he's such a great figure that I've actually, he reads books in the novel, and I've actually taken book recommendations from within the book. Uh, And that's a sign of a a novel you're getting on with. He recommended uh, Barbara Tuchman's The Distant Mirror, you know, that history of 14th century England. He was reading it in one of the books as he was waiting for a case. And I not only read the Spencer novel, I read the the book he was
1: reading.
3: There's something very meta about your engagement with his work.
2: They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag hit up quince dot com slash upgrade for free shipping and three hundred sixty five day returns on your next order that's quince dot com slash upgrade do we think this year from looking at people's selections, there's a kind of escapist feel. Do you think that this do you think this list would have been written if coronavirus hadn't existed? I
6: think one of the things about this list that, that puts us in the present moment is is the way it divides into those who have time and those who do not have time. So I don't know if it's about escapism or not, but I noticed for example that Joyce Carol Oates is reading her way through the entire Russian classics, whereas um Eugene Grace Wirtz said, My brain is desperate to read, but my time is non-existent. And she talks about how she's constantly bookmarking, bookmarking news articles and then deleting them. And I think, yeah, those of us um, stuck at home with children are finding that, that there is rather less time than normal. And I think that sort of maybe put us on to slightly smaller books or slightly less ambitious reading lists, perhaps.
3: There does seem to be a lot of sort of two birds, one stone going on in many of the choices. There's Clive Stafford Smith, who's also homeschooling. He says, I've been enjoying yeah. the Hunger Games trilogy by Suzanne Collins at far as they are great for home education for my 11-year-old. Ecology, Gail's survival techniques. we made coffee from dock roots. Science, the lightning tree, we built a lightning rod for his grandfather's shed. Geography, Panem in the US. Ancient history, tributes in the arena, inspired by the Minotaur and the Colosseum, etc. So, yeah, killing two birds with one stone, making the
2: Time. Who here has read The Hunger Games?
4: No, no I've read I a bit not. of
3: it. But the whole world
4: at the moment is like The Hunger Games, so I would have thought that would be what you would not want to read.
2: It's one of those ones where you kind of have to pretend to have read it because there's so many cultural references to it, but I've never read it. Sam, you're, you're the you're the youngest member of this collective by some distance.
5: Um, I haven't read them. I've seen the films. I, that counts, surely.
2: Um, my sister absolutely adored them,
5: so I also have gained a lot of the plot and therefore don't have
2: them. what's the right age for them because um my daughter's 11 is she too too young for is it a bit is it a bit tasty for them
4: uh, it's quite
2: violent as my memory of it they do kill each other
5: isn't
3: there a it's lo- quite grim isn't there a lot of incest at
5: least not in the films i can tell you that a
2: lot of incest <laughs>
3: i'm thinking of something else I'm, I'm, I'm colliding two cultural mammoths that i I'm familiar
2: with. Are you thinking of Greek tragedy?
3: <laughs> She's always thinking about Greek
2: tragedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said, how how often in a podcast is Hunger Games and Greek tragedy easily confused? I, I think that there's a, there's definitely a point also about children in this, isn't there? This yes. idea that Samantha Ellis is reading Meg on the Moon, which was such a good point because two of my kids have gone well past that stage, and my youngest is just about the right age, and I'd forgotten about Meg on the Moon. Can, Toby, are you the right, you're the right, your kids are the right age for this.
6: Yeah, sure, I'm in the right graphic for that, but I haven't actually, I haven't, I haven't explored the work.
2: Oh, it's very good. Yeah, there's loads of them as well. It's not just Meg on the moon, there's like Meg's garden and Meg's eggs. And they're, they're rather beautifully drawn, aren't they, Lucy? They're sort of quite striking bright colors. Yeah, they're quite- spiny. And there's a cat and an owl and Meg, and they sort of have a fairly mundane adventure. So I'm, I'm not overselling this. Well,
4: it's not you. that mundane because the moon is involved in one of them. I'm not going to do a spoiler. I won't tell you what happens, but they are really good. They're very kind of vibrant and they look like, they, they feel like real characters. It's, it's not just like, she was nice and then he was nice. Stuff
2: happens.
6: My five-year-old into literary realism. Um, you know, she, she likes mundane adventures in her
2: books. But... I think, honestly, I think you should try it because my kids, well, the, the other crushing thing I've now learned now my kids are 11 and 9, they don't have any memories of the stuff you did when they were three and four because they don't remember that far back. So all of this massive investment, emotional and time and financial that you do in making their lives the utter breeze that they are, even by the age of 11, they've just forgotten. They don't care about it. Why do you keep a ledger stick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly.
3: When you were three, I read Megan Malt 25 yeah, yeah, yeah. times. On their 18th birthdays, you can present them with said ledger. Of
4: a
2: yeah with a check <laughs> yeah and a request for. i'd it.
4: like a retirement home in the south of france please
2: um right before we go before we go on then imaginary suitcases who would you mug pitilessly for their imaginary traveling luggage
3: i well i should say um as you probably all know around this time of year i like to take a job in the customs office <laughs> just
0: before the yeah. so
3: that i can disbelieve <laughs> people when they say that they have had no help packing their bags
5: yeah yeah <laughs>
3: no liquids or scissors <laughs> so so i can rifle um, merrily through and uh, make selections so i'm going to take you're going to st- you're going to
2: steal from more than one bag is i'm going
3: to steal from at least three
2: okay go on
3: so i'm going to steal from barbara j king's bag i was supposed to go to japan this year and obviously that is not happening so i'm stealing from barbara j king's bag because she says happily in the grip of sondoku which is the habit some might say art of buying books and letting them pile up unread she is raiding her stuffed sunroom shelves and taking Japanese fiction out. So she's got Mm. Kuro Tanizaki's The Makioka Sisters, which was published by Vintage in, I think it was originally published in the 40s. It's a pre-war family story that became a classic. And then she says, having started with Banana Yoshimoto and Haruki Murakami, I'm drawn now to Nieko Kawakami, Yumiri, Sayaka Murata, Yoko Ogawa, and Yuko Hishina. (laughs)
2: So, well, well done, Theo. Well done.
3: <laughs> I would, I would take some of those, probably not all of them, for reasons aforementioned. Can I just
2: say before you go to me McBride, I would like a sunroom.
3: I think in this country, in Britain, don't we just call them conservatories?
2: I don't know. Is that what it means? I, I was because she, she, she said she said she said a sunroom. Show. She she just, Barbara King said sunroom, didn't she? I'm not just imagine that
3: she might have done. Let's see. Yes. Yeah. So- sunroom shelf.
2: Mm. I'd like a sunroom. Uh, medieval times they were called solaires, I believe. And I would like one of those. I can't steal that from Barbara King, but I just wanted to raise that point.
3: I, I can't help you with that. Employee, Employee
2: Builder. Emma McBride.
3: Amy McBride. Uh, she meant, one of the books she mentions is Machine by Susan Einberg, which is it's being published by Grey Wolf Press. And it's her first novel. She says it should be a real powerhouse for those interested in exploring language and form. So I've read some of Einberg's short stories. There was a collection uh, a few years back called *Spectacle*, which explores similar themes: guilt and blame. The novel is is set in the wake of a drowning, so very cheery. And then Benjamin Markovitz, Nikita Lalwani's *You People*, published by Viking, about various immigrants whose lives center on a neighborhood in Syria. Because, of course, just just to just to be true to that's
2: people. good. I, I, although. You have obviously broken the rule of picking one, but I think that's a, that is a fair and, and good selection.
3: I would like to remind everyone that I also originated this feature many, many years ago, so I'm allowed to play fast and loose
2: with the rules. Which, which feature? The feature of summer books or the oh, feature of... S-
4: that's really pulling rank, that.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Okay, we'll, we'll allow it. We'll allow it. Sam? I
5: was going to go wholeheartedly with Barbara J. King. Okay. Um, so I'll do the other two books. Um, one is Jeff Vandermeer's um, novel A Peculiar Peril which sounds jolly interesting Um, at least the internet describes it as a head-spinning epic of uh, three friends go on a quest to save the world from an unknowable peril that sounds all right Um, and close enough to fantasy to satisfy that edge that I want and then the Abi Daray's book, um, The Girl with the Loudest Voice, which is about a 14-year-old Nigerian girl who knows what she wants, an education. Um, uh, which, you know, That's punchy and I imagine would be equally um, as good as it sounds. And the Japanese fiction sounded great as well. But I, I think, being that that's no longer in the bag, because they have stolen it, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> I will say I would take The Stonemason from Diana Ducks. Uh, oh, yeah. And Jules Domenico, because... Among the many things that I wanted to do before I chose the very lucrative job of literary criticism, um, I wanted to be um, <laughs> an architect. And so I like building and architecture. Oh. And so it would be interesting to learn about the British history through its buildings, um, particularly as she says that Zeminski does a good job of recognising how Eastern architecture actually influenced far more of what we think British
2: architecture. I don't know. Do you like fantasy fiction? I do very much so. Lucy does as well, don't you? Lucy, That's that's fair you like fantasy fiction?
4: That's fair and partial to a bit of fantasy fiction,
2: yeah. Elves and, uh, I mean, all of it. I read a book um, last week, so I, I kind of, I don't always love fantasy fiction, but I read, this, this, I read about this book by a guy called Robert Jordan, The Wheel of Time books. Do you hear about this? Oh, yeah. they have supposed to have sold 80 million copies around the world, and he was seen as the successor to Tolkien. I'd never heard of him. Have you heard of him, Robert Jordan, Wheel of Time? Uh, yeah, I've
5: heard of The Wheel of Time. I think he only only finished them in 2012. It took about 35 years to write them.: or, Yeah and he, and
2: he died right at the end, and I read the first one, and it's full of sort of um of the bad guys and fades and the dark one and And it was all right, and I wanted to like it because I thought, oh, you know bit of, you a know, bit of Tolkien doesn't harm you uh, once in a while, but it was a bit it was a bit pedestrian, I thought. So don't don't read that. Don't, whoever, if you, if, you're, if you're not stealing a book but buying one, don't buy that one. I would say. Okay, good tip. Thank you, uh, Toby. I think I'm going to uh,
6: employ the Lenarduzzi pick a mix approach, if I'm allowed. Why, here, why, is even,
2: it? Bother, why even bother doing
6: this? <laughs> yeah, come on. Rules are there to be broken, right? So I liked um, Bernardine Everisto's choice of "That Reminds Me" by Derek Walshu, which he describes a fragmented pose, po- prose poetry novel. Um, about a Ghanaian British boy coming of age. I, I like the sound of it partly because I started reading it, or at least looking at it, just before lockdown. It's been sitting on my desk at work since mid-March. And I've been meaning to come and rescue it, because I'd actually like to commission something on it. It's just been shortlisted for the Desmond Elliott Prize. So I will kill two birds with Sewn at some point, go into work, take it, take it on my imaginary holiday, and then maybe get someone to write about it. Um, and then I like my points choice, um, of David Hill's The Vapors. Uh, subtitled: the southern family, the New York mob in the rise and fall of hot springs, America's forgotten capital of vice. Um, I didn't know that there was a sin city in the bible belt and I particularly like Michael Lapointe's reason for bringing it, uh, he said he wants to be reminded of crowds. Um, I sort of, I've, I've had this anxiety recently watching films or reading books in which people touch each other or, you know, <laughs> embrace or, or otherwise do stuff in crowds and I think, I think it's important to, to be reminded of, uh, you know, of that life that uh, did used to happen and will one day return.
2: I tell you, it's very strange because I've been back in the office a lot last week or so. And the strangest thing is not when you meet someone for the first time or uh, they come in where you'd normally shake hands or at least have some form of physical interaction. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't happen. So you just sort of sta- you stand three yards apart nodding like an imbecile. Well, at least that's what I do. That's the technique I've employed. <laughs>
6: And, and then I sometimes find slipping in and out of it as well. So, you know, I, I will go for a socially distanced walk or drink with a couple of friends, come home, and then, you know, my wife might embrace me or my children might run up to me my, my immediate reaction is, no, <laughs> oh, no, it's <that's> fine. <laughs> yeah. um, maybe that, maybe yeah. that's just... That's big, I find the adjustment difficult. Um, anyway, my final choice is Isabel Colgate's Orlando King, which actually came up in two people's bags, so I'm not sure whose I'm going to steal, um, either Hilary Mantel's copy or Frances Wilson's. I'll have to see if that's a bigger fight. Um, it's, um, it's set, it's actually three slim volumes that have been collected into one and it's set during the, sort of between the thirties and the fifties. It's, uh, modeled upon the *Oedipus* trilogy. So there we go uh, kind for of the Greek tragedy. Even again. That. And it's, that. it's a viral like that. Actually, I love it. And it's about the rise of fascism. Just
5: like the hunger game.
6: Yeah. Games. yeah, yeah. <laughs> even better. You know, but also I had never heard of Isabel Colgate. I don't know if any of you had. She was very, very popular in the seventies and eighties, uh, you know, both commercially, but I also think. In terms of um, you know her reception, one of the critics, and she sort of faded out of print, but she's still around actually. She's in her eighties, and this is an attempt to reboot her later career while well, she's still around, I guess. So Anyway, it intrigued me, um, and it's short, which uh, again is uh, high up uh, on my criteria. So
2: you're not you're not you're not interested in wallowing in a long novel.
6: That yeah, would be, um, yeah. but I think you know they're going to have to wait for a slightly different time. And I, I feel very jealous of Joyce Carol Oates, with her endless re-readings of the Russian classic, I just don't think that sort of viable yeah. um, at the moment, but
2: uh, one day. She said she's read War and Peace already in the first stage of of lockdown. Reread it.
6: She. I, I also suspect. She, she, yeah, she reads one book with one eye and one book with the other. Whilst yeah. writing two separate books at the same time. I mean, she. George, Joyce Carol Oates is a phenomenon. Um, I'm not going to try and
3: compare myself to her. Lucy, whose bag are you going to steal?
4: Well, the thing is, I'm not going to say, I can't say anything now, because you'll never guess whose bag I was going to steal. It was Barbara J. King, the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> so you've certainly, both of you, taking the wind out of my sails. So, uh, but there were a couple of others that I was interested in. Sam Leith mentioned a book by Ely Williams, which I think is called A Liar's Dictionary, uh, because he said it was a comic novel set among lexicographers, which just sounds brilliant, doesn't it? Um, and also, I, find, I found the whole thing quite melancholy. I mean, completely understandably, there aren't many, um, there's not much comedy or likeness in there. So I think uh, a comic novel would be a nice. And the other thing I thought sounded nice, B.J. Silcox recommended a book by Vicky Hastrich, mostly for the title which is Night Fishing, Stingrays, Goya, and the Singular Life. I mean, maybe we don't even need to read the book. Maybe we just think about that wonderful title.
2: That's all, that's all the things I'm interested in, Lucy, in one title.
4: Well, there you go. This is the book for you. Um, and she said it was the literary equivalent of a glass-bottomed boat, which just sounds brilliant, doesn't it? Uh, and if I, if I had my serious hat on, I would try and have a look at the bilingual edition of um, Paul Valéry. The idea of perfection, which has got his poems and some things from his notebooks, which I think would be interesting because his poems are so formal and beautiful and sort of detached. And his sort of thoughts and life were so chaotic, N- not beautiful, not, not very good at being detached. I just think that would be really interesting. And also a book that Jane Yeager recommended called Learning from the Germans by Le- Susan Nyman. Yeah. It's about her experiences as a white child growing up in America, in the deep south, and then as a Jewish woman living in Berlin. And it's about, um, I think, this is what sounds like it's about, it's sort of talking to America about how you deal with um, past tragedies and atrocities and problems.
2: We've talked we've talked quite a lot about that on this podcast, there haven't we? Because it, it it's when you talk about Black Lives Matter and the idea of statues coming down, the American versus the German example is very striking. You would not expect and you would not see in Germany a statue of a Nazi. You wouldn't see a group of people in Germany because it's illegal espousing the philosophy of Nazism. But if you go to the southern states of America, you will see Confederate generals. You will see people waving a flag uh, of a nation that supported slavery. And this concept that you could learn from Germany, because Germany in the last 30 years in particular has looked at making reparation for what it did in the past.
6: But also it had a very thorough and comprehensive denazification programme, which took place over sort of five years from 1945 to 50. And it was, it was done with kind of very open eyes. And it wasn't perfect, but that set the groundwork for it, I think.
3: Un- absolutely unlike Italy, where there was not a rigorous...
2: And there never, um, and there yeah. never has been in America. Um, although Clive Stafford-Smith told us last week he thought America had, had better race, racial conversations than we do in Britain, which I thought was interesting. Uh, even so, there's been no moment in which America has said... Or Britain, for that matter. Here's what we did. Here's what we're doing to pay it back, either monetarily or more, just more ideologically, by saying we will not have any statues to anyone involved in, in in slavery. We will we will we will do this. We will take down these statues. We will pay money to a charity. We'll do all these things that the Germans, to a certain extent, have had to do because of uh, what happened 50 years ago.
4: Yeah, and I suppose um, South Africa must come into play as well. That's it's. it's um... You know, it's it's a situation which has happened a couple of times, and there are different nations who've dealt with it differently.
2: Yeah, the idea of a truth and reconciliation commission, which whether that's worked entirely or not in South Africa, is at least the step towards it. I think one of the reasons why you you have the anger in the Black Lives movement is there's been no even sign of that clear break where you you acknowledge the sins of the past.
4: Yeah, so there's a lot to chew over, isn't there, in all of those um, all of those suitcases.
2: Yeah, I'm. 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 I'm going to rely on. I don't know what books Jamie Fisher will have chosen, but if she's taking with her slight comforting detective fiction, that is the bagger I'm going going for. You know, I, I wouldn't like accidentally to to pluck the Joyce Carol Oates Oates massive <laughs> suitcase and, and and find. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind reading Anna Karenina again or Crime and Punishment. I mean, in fact, at some point I feel probably I should we should read those books again because I read them once and they're quite you wouldn't necessarily think of reading them again. So I wouldn't mind doing that. But if I could accidentally stumble across a, a tatty version of Agatha Christie, then I would take that, I think. Well,
3: that's, that's precisely cool. what Jamie Fish is taking, Agatha Christie, JMK, and PD James.
2: Yeah, I would do that. I'll do that. Don't worry, you, you, you go right ahead, you know, filching from a variety of sources. I'll, I will, I'll stick to the... I'll be the only one to stick to the spirit of the game and steal one person's luggage. Well done, Stig. Thank you very much. Coming up, we're going to go and take, honestly, no showing off, pretending to read books that you don't read, of what we're going to be reading this summer. So time now for our own summer recommendations. What would we take? Will we take on our imaginary holidays? What books would we recommend for the summer who wants to go first? We do have a fiction editor in the imaginary room we're in. Should we start with Toby? Okay, let's start with me. So, actually,
6: I, you know, I've done this lot before, and I've always said I'm, I don't really like reading beach reads on the beach. I mean, I, I quite unlike I used to I actually quite like sitting on a beach in the shade, if you're cool um, reading. But I don't really want to read about beach holidays when I'm sitting on a beach. But as I'm not going to be sitting on a beach, I actually found, for you know, one of the first times in my life, I was hankering after that kind of a thing. And last month, I read a book by Polly Sampson called A Theatre for Dreamers, which I've actually reviewed in this issue. Um, and actually, the summer books issue, all the fiction that I've run, the fiction reviews are kind of summary things. And, and it is a brilliant beach read. It's set in 1960 on the island of Hedra um, amongst uh, a group of writers and artists being pretty beastly to each other. Uh, and Leonard Cohen is one of those young young troubadours and poets um, and Polly Sampson inserts this fictional character, this uh, teenage girl who sort of rocks up and makes a few waves and it's, it's done very, very nicely. And it's, you know, the book's not really about Lennon Cohen. It's more about that kind of scene. And it's also about this kind of of early sixties scene really before the sixties revolution happened and really about how, about how that whole sexual revolution was not always a very fair deal for the women. And they sort of tend to go from one form of bondage to their patriarchy to their parents, another form of bondage in the form of their new boyfriends. Um, And it's just fun and very nicely done. And it made me yearn to be on a Greek island. um, And I found it very escapist. And then the book that I haven't read, but I will be taking wherever I go. I do have a holiday planned, actually.
2: There's a yurt. Oh my God, you can't go to a yurt. You can't go to a yurt in the middle of a pandemic. actually, I think a yurt. (laughs) I I might get a teaser with that one. I
4: just think the (laughs) sentence, there's a yurt in the offing, yeah. is enough on its own just let that stand
6: um i've been looking up mongolian fiction but there's nothing that's leaping out to me um this summer uh instead there is uh, a reprint um of a book by sam Selvan, a trinidadian author um he's just made it the penguin classics li- uh, list and it's called the housing lock um and it's all set in in london in the 1950s um and it's about the, the new generation of essentially windrush immigrants and, and their travails it looks beautiful really really brilliantly done I've started reading the first few pages and it looks it looks really fantastic i heard of Sam Selvin but I don't know very much about him and I know Penguin are putting quite a lot of oomph behind it this summer they clearly think it's um it's something to be reborn and obviously in the current climate it feels particularly worth reading um so there I'll be in my yurt in your yurt I don't know in my why yurt why
2: not all right Sam are you going to be able to go to a yurt?
5: Uh, no, I will go somewhere, hopefully. I went home recently. That was nice and and waved at my parents from a distance. That was strange. Um, but uh, no, no yurt in the offing over
2: here. Um, you could take a yurt to Wales. Wales strikes me as a country that, that that would accommodate a yurt.
3: I've stayed in a yurt in Wales.
2: There you go. Uh, what, are you, what are you going to be reading, Sam? Yurt or no yurt? Yurt or no yurt. I will hopefully be
5: reading Wing by Matthew Francis, which is the most recent poetry collection by Matthew Francis, um, who I believe, at least, is one of the best modern poets writing. Um, I reviewed his translation of the Yogi for the TLS a few years ago, um, which was fantastic. Um, And I was so taken with it that I read his entire back catalogue, and he's just a brilliant poet. And his most recent collection we reviewed uh, a few weeks ago and the reviewer agreed with me and thought he was the best of the bunch and he yeah he's technically very very on point and has this beautiful uh sense of nature um and reveling in the present moment and has a, a sense of hope mainly overrided by um how awful everything is he's very good um so that um uh I re um Recent book that I want to take, uh recently published book, is Cosmological Cones by Anthony Aguirre, which is suitably strange uh, looking. Uh, uh, he's a physicist, a theoretical physicist, and he sort of deals with odd paradoxical questions that physics and philosophy have thrown up over the years, um, using uh, the Zen tradition as some kind of uh, mediator in that. It looks totally wacky. Um, and I look forward to sort of finding out, you know, if there's life on a moat of dust and et cetera. Um, So they're the two modern books I'd like to take. Um, And then you'll be pleased, Stig, because I am being pretentious and I'm reading uh, Shakespeare again. There's nothing Um, pretentious
2: about Shakespeare. Nothing pretentious about Shakespeare.
5: Um, so the one I had on my shelves was Henry V, which I've not read. So I'm going to read that. What do down.
2: you mean you've not read Henry V? F- you must have read Henry V. No, I didn't, I've didn't. i managed not While to. While keeping the Welsh theme, you will be mildly appalled because there is an absolutely appallingly stereotypical Welsh character called Flewellyn, who says things like, Excellent. who says things like, look you, look you, <laughs> look you the whole time. Uh, and he's there's a, there's a Scotsman called Jamie, I think. And there's an Irish bloke as well, and they all and Shakespeare, in order to make clear that they are where they're from, just puts in these sort of ethnic blurts into the text, so you know you know where they're from. So
3: surely, surely you could have had them just sing a song about where they're from.
2: That would have worked, yeah, exactly. What, is Shakespeare, what does Shakespeare know, Thea? What does Shakespeare know?
3: He never went to Falaraki.
2: No, he didn't. No, he famously never left the country. Imagine what he would have managed to 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 write had he got away from from Britain and got to Falaraki or Kavos. <laughs> uh, Lucy, uh,
4: yes, uh, I can tell you what I
2: don't look don't sound surprised, Lucy. You knew this was coming. It was. Uh, I sent you an email. Uh, it's been we've been we've been ready to do this for about forty minutes. You, you I didn't... was
4: I was I was going. I was I
2: was feeling thoughtful
4: rather than surprised. Um. <laughs> Um, I am going to take on my, there is no yurt in the offing, alas. Um, I'm going to take Larry McMurtry's Lonesome Dove. Oh. Um, for reasons which may become apparent in the weeks to come, but it sounds right up my alley and I think it's very long.
2: Yeah. We've got, um, we may or may not have 5,000 words uh, on I, I was being Dove mysterious written... about it. Yeah, I'm still being mysterious. Written by a notable cultural critic.
4: There we go. Um, so uh, I would very much like to, to read that, um, uh, and I'm going to. I've actually ordered it. I'm actually going to pay money for it. Oh my I'd god! I'd also like. To read, um, this is another one from the recommendations I forgot about. I'd like to read Queenie by Candy Carty-Williams, which is supposed uh, to be that's really. brilliant!
2: Yeah. I've read it. I've read it. Is it good? It is. Good. It's good. I thought it was very good, not quite great. It's been it's been missold a little bit because it's a it's by uh, it's by and about a black woman, and it's it's been sort of described as the Black Bridget Jones, which it just isn't because it's not. It's funny in parts, but it's quite grim in other parts. It's very honest, and it's about life as a black woman in London. And when you read it, um, my wife read it as well, and and I remember she said to me. Can't remember reading a book where that particular experience is is treated uh, in a full length novel. It doesn't happen that much where you actually learn what it's like to be a thirty year old black woman in London and experiencing kind of the relationships and sex and work and all of those things. So it's missold a bit as a sort of Black Bridget Jones, but I think it, it's 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 probably slightly greater than that in in some respects.
4: Mm, yeah, yeah. So I'd be interested in reading that, and also I would I'm cheating slightly because I've started this. Also for work. I'm very, very conscientious. Um yes. Craig Brown's one, two, three, four about the Beatles oh, is it good? It's a massive book about the Beatles. And it just, you know, I'm staying up far too late reading it because what's better than a massive good book about the Beatles? Is it good? Knew- is it, good? it is good. It's, it's, it's it, yeah, it's really good. It's really good. It's 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 um it's not like a straightforward it's not about the music or a straightforward biography. It's got all sorts of perspectives and angles, including the mythology of them as well. Um,
5: I'm I'm reading it as well now at the moment. Are actually. you? Yeah.
4: What page are you on?
5: I, oh. I'm I'm sacrilegiously dipping in and out of it because uh, they, it's in small little chapters where you can read one at random. I know it's slightly chronological, but I'm you know. You're thinking, not
4: reading it in the right um, order.
5: <gasps> no. I, I, I'm very rare for me, but um, no, I, I'm just picking out little vignettes. It's, it's, they're very
2: enjoyable. They are. I'll race you, Sam. What page are you on, Lucy? This is not a competition, but what page are you on? Uh,
4: 157. Okay. Of how many? I don't know, like a million. It's a big book. Oh, yeah.
3: Are you reviewing it for us?
4: No, someone else's. Ah. I'm sure
2: his review is brilliant. <laughs> well, it can't be much better than I'm on page 157 of about a million. <laughs> it's going to be doing pretty well to, 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 to get past that. Um, Thea, go on. What are, you, what are you going to read, recommending to read?
3: Well, I've just started on The Natural History of Destruction by Sebald, which is oh. sort of relevant to what we were talking about before, actually. Normally, I don't have props, but because I'm at home, I have props. So I can just read back to you. Uh, In the last years of World War II, the Allies dropped a million tons of bombs on Germany, yet the German people have been silent about the resulting devastation and loss of life, failing to recognize the terrible shadow, the destruction from the air cast over the land. And so Sebald does a Sebald on it (laughs) and writes beautifully, just the right balance of actual historical knowledge and just a bit of human conjecture. Yeah. Someone Does he wonder
4: about a him. bit?
3: Well, you know, someone will probably have felt that, such and such a thing. So he puts himself into the people. Uh, I think it was published in 1999. Um, I'm obviously reading it in Anthea Bell's beautiful translation. Um, my other book on a similar theme, also Second World War, is a rereading, if that's allowed. Of course. It's uh, El Samorante La Storia, which in English is called history, a novel, which sort of misses the point about the translation, about La storia actually means history and story. It's the same word. It's set in Rome. It centers on the life of Ida and her two sons, Nino and Uzeppe. He's called Giuseppe because that's how he says his name, which is actually Giuseppe, but he's a little boy who can't say it. Oh. Their experience of the years 1940 to 1947, so each chapter is a year. And every chapter begins with a run through of the historical facts of the year, what actually happened. And then it continues into the characters' experiences of it, living in Rome, coming under allied fire. So as you might expect for the time and the place, uh, and considering the family's Jewish heritage, it's often harrowing, uh, but it's also incredible. It was quite controversial, I think, when it first came out. It was a bestseller, but the left piled on because her ideology wasn't quite in line. Um, that
2: doesn't su- that doesn't sound like the left
3: <laughs> oh on a, on a more anecdote well uh, it has two good roles for dogs um, no. there's, there's blitz blitz who dies in the um i felt i had to give the translation there of, of blitz um, yeah <laughs> Who dies dies in an allied bombing uh, and then oh. and then bella who is a I think she's a sheep dog who well i can't i can't say what she does because that would give away the end of the book but Two strong roles for, for for canines.
2: That alone is a sufficient recommendation. um Shall I do mine quickly? Yes. I've got time for it. Uh, Definitely. I've got, I'm going to read in my continuing love of uh, genre fiction. I'm rereading all the Spencer novels that I mentioned earlier because uh, I had a hankering to do that. And I've, there's like 30 of them. And, and I've read about 15 of them in lockdown. So I might as well finish that. Um, Michael Connolly, who wrote the Bosch novels, uh, also wrote a series of legal fiction, sort of John Grisham-esque fiction. Um, And I'm getting into that because I quite like Michael Connolly. And from a history point of view, um, we mentioned it in the paper, I think, next week, but I'm really interested in a guy called William Marshall. Do you know who William Marshall is, anyone? He's a guy in in the... When was he? End of the 12th century. Um, But he served five kings... Uh, oh yeah he was like a fixer yeah he was like a fixer but he was also you know he was condemned to death at the age of five and then he lived on to serve five different kings like richard the lionheart uh king john he was involved in the magna carta he was the most famous knight in europe and fought and uh he was like a sportsman of the age he was just this incredible figure that i've occasionally stumbled across in various tls articles anyway The other day, I thought, I want to read more about him. So I bought a book called The Greatest Knight, The Remarkable Life of William Marshall, The Power Behind Five English Thrones by Thomas Asbridge. So I'm going to give that a go. Assuming
3: you're not doing what Sam does and you're not reading the book out of order, you will have started at the beginning. So you may well have got to the part where he is age five, condemned to death. I'd like to know what he did to deserve that condemnation.
2: I've not got that far. I've not started reading it. All I know who's five... And then he's condemned to death. Then he trains as a medieval knight. But he basically becomes a sort of sportsman of the age because he wins all the tournaments. And then he sort of is an advisor to loads of kings. And David Horsepal has told me about him uh, in one of our podcasts, I think. I've always thought, oh, I bet these are interesting because he feels like someone should make a film out of his life. But anyway, so The Greatest Knight, um, William Marshall. So I'm going to give that a go. I quite like medieval history, really.
4: That, that, that doesn't that lead you on in a perfect segue to an upcoming issue?
2: Yes, you, Lucy, <laughs> you've ruined that. you ru- 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 that perfect segue. But let's try, let's it, try
4: it
5: anyway.
2: It <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that's all we have time for this week. <laughs> um, that is all time we have time for this week. Thank you so much to everyone, Sam, Toby, Lucy. There's enough recommendations for everybody, surely, in this uh, in that podcast. And make sure you're subscribing to the paper this week. After all those summer books, we are going to be learning about food, Nabokov, obituaries, Dickens, Malcolm McLaren, and much more. And next week, Lucy Dallas, I'm going to astound you by saying, oh, we're going to be looking at the medieval period, featuring an accidental wow. reference to William Marshall, the power behind five thrones. So if you like that sort of thing or even if you don't you should uh, you should give us a go. Until then from Thea and from me, goodbye.